Hi there, I'm Brian Fabry Dorsum, and this is a character creator side quest. I know we haven't even released the first episode yet, but I wanted to share something with you first. If you follow any game review sites at all, I'm sure you've heard about a game called A Mortician's Tale. The game has gotten amazing reviews from basically everywhere, so I played it, and I loved it. For those of you who don't know, A Mortician's Tale is a job simulator, except the job is to prepare bodies for cremation or for burial, and to attend funerals with bereaved family members. It might sound morbid, but in A Mortician's Tale, it doesn't feel that way. It feels different. I liked it so much that I wanted to speak with the woman who created it. Sure. So my name's Gabby Darienzo. I'm a Toronto. She's a game developer based in Toronto. I spoke with Gabby on the phone about her life in video games, about Neopets, and about the death positive movement that led to the creation of a mortician's tale. Now I should let you know that there are a few spoilers for the game, so if you want to preserve the purity of your gaming experience, you might want to play the game first. And because Gabby lives in Toronto and I live in Chicago, we had to talk over the phone. So if it sounds like Gabby's voice is coming through a shitty cell phone call, that's because it is. Okay, here's the interview. I wasn't super allowed to play video games when I was a kid because I was very obsessive with them and kind of wouldn't do anything else. And so my parents kind of didn't want them in the house. But I would say I started around eight or nine. I was really obsessed with uh, Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time, and Majora's Mask specifically. And uh, that was kind of like my first foray into games was from those two. We had uh, a cousin who had it. And I remember going over to his house and playing it and being like really obsessive with it. And my, I think my dad was like, nope, this cannot be in our house. She will literally do nothing. And then, um, so when Blockbuster was a thing, you could rent N64s. Uh, and it was really expensive in hindsight. Like, it was probably just cheaper just to buy one. And so my mom was sometimes, uh, for like a treat, would rent us this N64. And uh, I would pick a couple of games. And I always chose the same games because I would never beat them. I would just like play them and for like the two or three days you get to rent them for and, and then when I was older when I was in college I had a friend who like found one in his closet and was like I don't want this anymore and he just gave it to me so I didn't actually end up getting an N64 until I was like in my early 20s <laughs> but I did play a bunch of PC games I I think uh, I thought I was being stealthy because I was like well my dad my dad doesn't know that I'm I'm playing video games on here uh he thinks I'm doing homework and so I would by like Tomb Raider and The Sims. I played a lot of Neopets. I loved Neopets so much. And so like I had a bunch of like computer games and or like online games I would play. But as far as console goes, I was not allowed. I was not allowed to have a console. I'm glad that you mentioned Neopets on your own because I just, <laughs> I just saw something, I guess you tweeted the other day. Um, I, I, I think that we're like basically around the same age and I've heard, but I've heard the name Neopets, but I don't know what a Neopet is. Can you talk about what those are? Sure. So uh, Neopets was a like browser community slash game from, uh, I guess, like the early 2000s. And basically it was like a digital pet. Uh, so you would go on and you would have these digital pets that were like, they're called Neopets. There's a bunch of different ones. And uh, you could do different things. Like you could feed your Neopet and you could battle your Neopet. But there was also this like this giant world that was built around Neopets. So 
you know, you could, there was like all these worlds you could go to, all these different shops and different games you could play. There were communities that like, like guilds and uh, they even had like stocks, like you could learn about stocks. You could open up your own store and sell your own things. There was like a newspaper you could write for the newspaper. There was an art gallery. Like, it just, it was like this, not just like a browser game, but also just like this giant community. And so uh, when I was a kid, I was very obsessed with it, um, especially being a game that I had access to because I didn't need a console for it. Um, and that was kind of probably one of my first experiences, uh, like, with online communities and uh, making friends online. You you had you were able to customize your own profile pages and your own shops. And so I taught myself HTML and CSS. Like, I learned about it because I wanted to make my Neopets page better. And so it has this really weird, I have a lot of nostalgia for Neopets, not just because I had a lot of fun playing it, but also it's kind of the thing that got me into uh, web development and also subsequently theme development. But Neopets for Gabby did more than just introduce her to game design. I think there's a very large subsection of people who play Neopets who are queer and or have come out as queer later, including myself. So I didn't come out until probably my early 20s. And in hindsight, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and I remember uh, one of the things I did, it doesn't exist anymore because I tried looking for it, um, was uh, there was a lot of like really pretty uh, fairies. Like There was like this, this race called the fairies and they were like very pretty women. And I remember drawing a lot of like fan art and that being like all over my profile page as a youth. I have so much love for Neopets for a lot of different reasons. And I'm very, very grateful for it because I feel like I grew up in a really small town just north of Toronto and I didn't have anybody in my life. I had no, you know, people to look to for this kind of thing. And so it was one of the more positive influences for me as a kid who was queer, but was not out with themselves. And from there, Gabby didn't fall into game design. She knew for a long time that that's what she wanted to do. When I was a kid playing Majora's Mask, that was like my dream career was making video games. And so, you know, I would do a lot of fan art and I would write a lot of stories and I would write a lot of, I had this book, I actually still have it because my mom kept it after all these years. And it's just like, uh, a walkthrough like do you remember those physical books like for video games that were like walkthroughs or guides yes yeah, so I, I basically made one of those for Majora's Mask and just like overanalyzed every enemy and like how much like how like what their moves were and how they how much damage they did and like I just like I was really obsessive about that kind of stuff and so um I didn't really think of it as a career I kind of lost interest in it as well over the years so I was really into it when I was a kid Kind of, you know, I think my dad especially was like, you can't make career out of this, you know, stop, like do something rational. And then, you know, as I got a bit older, I got more into art and graphic design. And then I studied graphic design in school and kind of fell sideways backwards into games or back into games uh, after I graduated. So I ended up in games anyway. <laughs> and my dad, uh, who was very supportive and very, very wonderful, often joked about, you know, how he never let me play games as a kid and uh, didn't want me to be a, a game developer as an adult. But now here I am. And he's like, haha, jokes on me kind of thing. So he's, <laughs> he is a very supportive person. And now, of course, Gabby is the co-founder of an independent game studio called Laundry Bear with her partner, Andrew Carvalho. 
Gabby had already been working on a game for a couple of years, and that game became Laundry Bear's first project. And that game was, wait for it, a mortician's tale. I have a lot of friends who are morticians slash used to be morticians and now work in games, which is kind of funny. And so I've always been interested in the subject matter and knew that I wanted to do something with it. But then when I read uh, Caitlin Doty's book, Smoke Gets in Your Eyes, that's where it was. I was really inspired to make the game. And so um, Caitlin Doty is a L.A.-based funeral director slash YouTuber slash author. And she wrote a book a few years ago called Smoke Gets in Your Eyes, which is like a semi-autobiographical book where she tell, like, talks about how she got into the death industry and kind of, you know, like starting out from working for a crematorium and then choosing to go back to school and kind of learning more about embalming and the funeral industry and not really liking it. And then kind of going to where she is now, which is running her own funeral home. And uh, she also talks about like the history of the funeral industry and like lots of other stuff. It's a really, really good book and super fascinating and often very funny. And it was after I read that book that I was really inspired to uh, make a mortician sale, um, mainly because I was really, I really identify with the death positive movement. That's definitely something I, I'm, I'm totally down for. And also Caitlin Doty has a website called the order of the good death, where she lays out the core tenets of what's called the death positive movement. There are a lot of aspects to it, but here's a brief summary that Doty has written. The order is about making death a part of your life. That means committing to staring down your death fears, whether it be your own death, the death of those you love, the pain of dying, the afterlife or lack thereof, grief, corpses, bodily decomposition, or all of the above. Accepting that death itself is natural, but death anxiety and terror of modern culture are not. Caitlin's story was really, Caitlin's story specifically about like how she went from, you know, working for a funeral home kind of learning more about this bigger kind of corporate side to it and then choosing to kind of move away from that, that is what really inspired A Mortician's Tale. So I, I think one of the one of the most important things to me about indie games or, or just non-console games is the potential to lower the bar to entry. Um, you know, A Mortician's Tale basically like doesn't require anything you would call like skill to play you know you can just walk right into it and even within the game you're you're really being kind of walked through the daily tasks and and walked through the, the different things that you have to do um can you sort of talk about the decision to design the game that way yeah it's a great question um so big thing for us was knowing what kind of game you want to make and also knowing the audience in which that game would attract and so on the design side of things we i knew i wanted to make a game about the stories like based off of the stories that caitlin Doty has told us and also um my friends have told us and so kind of this like trying to recreate this kind of slow and sad uh almost like meditative experience that funeral directors have and so when you design a game in which that is the narrative it's really important to you know um, make sure that your mechanics and your art and your sound and your writing and everything uh, reinforces that narrative and so uh, mechanics wise it doesn't make sense for us to do like it, it's very clear that the game is inspired by trauma center there's a few medical parts of the game i had to look this up Trauma Center is a series of Japanese simulators in which players are surgeons in a hospital treating fictional diseases and injuries. 
It's developed by Atlas, the same company that makes Persona, to give you some idea of what it looks like. But it's very fast-paced, and there is a score, and there is a timer, and there are fail states. And the reason why they, the developers use those things is because it creates a really stressful atmosphere for the player, and it, it creates the kind of atmosphere a surgeon would have where it has to be quick and precise, and it's very, very stressful. And so for a mortician's tale, on the flip side of that, in which you're, you are preparing the body of the deceased respectfully, in which you are, you know, you do not have uh, a, a timer because the person is going nowhere and there's no rush to do these things. It doesn't make sense for us to have a game where there is a timer or a fail state or like a score. And so a lot of the mechanics in a mortician's tale are very slow and they're very easy and it's very it's a lot of, it's a lot of reading it's a lot of uh following instructions exactly we don't let you cut up bodies we don't let you jump around on top of coffins or anything like that it, it a reinforces our uh our narrative of course but b it also draws a lot of people who don't normally play games and so that was a big thing for us was knowing that there would be a really large audience of people who are not normally game players, but would be interested in playing the game because of the narrative of it. We wanted to make sure that we included mechanics that were very uh, approachable for them. And so this kind of worked out on both ends is a, the mechanic, like easy mechanics. I'm saying easy, but like, <laughs> I feel kind of bad about that. But easy mechanics being, um, or reinforcing our game's narrative, but also being accessible to people who don't normally play video games. So there's not like the dark souls of <laughs> mortuary games. Here's a narrative-focused game. All you really need to have is a mouse. You know, if you're interested in reading, if you're interested in following instructions, this game will be approachable for you. And that has been a really big thing for us is because a lot of our audience is people who play games normally, but a lot of our audience is also people who do not and are buying the game specifically because of the narrative. Like, it's very, very easy for them to navigate. They're not running into any issues, but they're also now saying, like, hey, I've never played any games before. What other games are similar to Mortician's Tale that I can play? So we're getting a lot of people who are like, I really enjoyed this game. What else can I play? And people are sending them things like Gone Home or, you know, Tacoma or Paper Sleeve or Her Story. And it's really cool. I don't know. I think it's really cool. And I think, you know, I am a person who doesn't think there should be gatekeeping for video games. I like that this audience is opening up more and more. And if a Mortician's Tale is a, a way for people to get into games that they normally wouldn't be interested in, and that's also rad. So there's, there's an interest, obviously, in kind of immersing the player in the daily rhythms of being a mortician, um, but there's also a, a parallel interest it seems to me that that comes in the form of the emails in the game from a newsletter called Funerals Monthly. Um, can you can you sort of talk about that? Like what's going on with those with those emails? Yeah, so there's a lot of information that we wanted to talk about in the game that just didn't really fit because the the, the main interactions you get from the game are um, or the main interact the way you interact with things in the game is via email, so you're talking to your colleagues and your friends and your bosses, or via kind of short um, interactions with the loved ones of the deceased. And so you're kind of like hearing how they're mourning. And so we didn't really feel like we could fit in everything 
via those kind of conversations or via the emails that your your boss or your friends are sending you. So the newsletter is a way for us to kind of put out additional information into the game that the player normally wouldn't get. And so it's things like, you know, green burials. What are they? It's things like what to wear at a funeral or what to say or what not to say at funerals. So it's, it's a bunch of different. We talk about different cultures. We talk about uh, LGBTQ rights. We talk about um, lots of different things. And that email newsletter kind of gives us a way to do that uh, without it, it feeling weird or ham-fisted. I noticed that you there's a lot of capitalist language in the game that you know structurally it's it's just to do with keeping an independent funeral home afloat financially but even in the newsletters you're sort of using the language of capitalism to sell people on these moral issues you know you talk about how green funerals are actually more cost effective in certain ways it seemed like there was you know there's a, a subversive message that's you know not just about corporations, but the kind of bigger structure that creates them and the way that that structure can get in the way of people's abilities to mourn in the way that they'd like. I, this is going to sound so cynical, and I, I, I really genuinely did not want the game to feel this way, but it's really hard for it not to, where it, it's one thing to kind of make sure you are sustaining yourself and making a living and also, uh, you know, the industry in and of itself is, is not bad because, you know, it's these jobs are important and these jobs exist for a reason. And I have the pleasure of knowing a lot of very wonderful people who work in the industry who are very good at not only, you know, preparing bodies for however the deceased wanted to be prepared, but also helping those fam their families and loved ones mourn and, and helping them kind of get through this. But there is a lot of, there is a lot of big business in this industry. Um, so I'm from Canada <laughs> and I know that, Canada and the U.S. are very, very similar, and and this kind of thing doesn't really exist widely outside of Canada and the U.S., but it very much is here. It's a very much a big business, and that big business thrives off of things like knowing that people are uncomfortable with the subject matter and knowing that people are afraid of the subject matter uh, allows them to kind of take advantage of people, and I'm not saying that and we would definitely try to not make it come across as if, you know, every funeral home is a bad funeral home, because certainly that's not the case. And certainly uh, when you start the game, you know, it's it, it's a family run business and you, you kind of get po more positive vibes from that than you do in the middle of the game when the funeral, funeral home has been bought out by a larger conglomerate. There have just been so many stories that I've been told from my friends or from whoever um, like order members that we consulted with just about big business kind of doing some really sketchy and shady things and with the sole idea that they can get away with it because people don't ever question it because it's too scary of a subject for them. And that like just really, you know, so it's really, it's really hard for us to be unbiased about this thing when we're making a game like this because, you know, our feelings about this are pretty clear. I think if you are a person who is that positive, it's very hard to, I may even counterproductive to be a person who is okay with big business, knowing that they do the thing that is counterintuitive to what being death positive is. <laughs> uh, we tried our best for it not to come across that way, but also we wanted to make sure that we talked about it because it is a thing that happens. And so we didn't want the entire game to be a cynical look at the funeral industry as a whole, but we wanted to make sure that we had discussions about big business and about people like Chad in the game who take advantage of people because they are in a worse spot than he is.
This is all related to one of the most powerful moments in the game for me, which was the funeral for the homeless man. Um, can, can you sort of talk about his inclusion? Yeah, so every body in the game, um, every, and a lot of the NPCs and all of the characters are based off of our team's personal experience with loss. And so, you know, there's a few stories that Caitlin Tremblay, our writer, included uh, pretty early on in the, the game that are like direct experiences that she's had. Our team has lost a lot of people to suicide, and it was really important for us to talk about that and to include that. Um, and so for that, the homeless death or the, the, the death that no one attends, um, that is very much inspired by most of our team is from Ontario, Canada. And Ontario is, I think it's Ontario and also Quebec are the provinces that have the highest amount of unclaimed bodies. So that's bodies who are left for, that die alone and no one wants to um, take ownership of that person. So it's not just necessarily people who die homeless. It's uh, people who don't have any family members or whose family members are distant from them. It's very, 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 very high here. It's, it's kind of a, an epidemic almost. And so uh, we wanted to make sure that we talk about that because that's a very, very important thing to us. And so that's why we included that. And um, there's a thing that we included, but I don't know if people noticed this. So in the funeral home, there's a wall with urns and there's space for nine urns, but there's only eight when you first start. And after you encounter that body the next day there's nine urns and the idea is you know when you first start the game i think people think that they're just like empty urns that you have on the wall but they're actually full urns uh, most of the morticians i know have talked about every funeral home just has like a room filled with uh urns of uh the deceased that no one came to claim and they can't really do anything with them they just have to hold on to them and that's like a really really upsetting upsetting thing. And so that's kind of where that whole um, scene came from. It's a very personal game about a subject that we're all very, very tied to. And so my biggest hope was that it would just, you know, People will maybe learn a bit about the industry uh, or just even be comfortable enough to, to kind of think about it or talk about it. The game is very short. Uh, it's about an hour long or so to play. And uh, we certainly try to include as much as we can, but we obviously can't fit every type of death or every type of thing into this game. And so if people walk away from the game, you know, curious and, and willing to learn more, that's really, that's really all I can ask for. That being said, the game's been out for a week now or so, and uh, it has been really overwhelming. We've received so much positive press about the game, but not only that, we've received a lot of really, really personal messages from people via Twitter, via email, via even Steam reviews, via just people kind of sharing their own stories and how the game has helped them. And that has been really emotional because it's just really, you know, there was a woman who, uh, her husband was recently diagnosed with cancer and she said that this game was like the, the first thing that's been able to help her since this diagnosis and how it kind of gave her some insights about different things. And like, it's just, like, it's really, really cool to see that. And, uh, you know, I, I 
if that if this game helps anybody with anything, that's amazing, and that's really all I can hope for. <laughs> Mortician's Tale is available on Steam and the Humble Store for Windows and Mac. You can learn more about the game at amorticianstale.com. Gabby's game studio is called Laundry Bear, and you can find them at laundrybear.com. Gabby is also on Twitter, at Gabdar. I want to thank Gabby D'Arienzo for talking with me today. I'm Brian Fabry-Dorsum. This side quest was produced by me and my enormous cat Jimmy, who graciously slept through the entire interview. Thank you, Jimmy. The theme music for Character Creator is by Names for Sounds. You can find out more about the music at our website, charactercreatorpodcast.com. The score for this side quest is by me. The first full episode of Character Creator will be available on November 6th, fingers crossed. Keep up with us at our website and on social media. <laughs>